Matthew 5, 27 through 30. We're wrapping up our In Hiding series this morning with a topic that on one hand, none of us wants to talk about, but on another hand, none of us can afford not to talk about. This is going to be a heavy sermon. It's going to be a transparent one. I'm asking that you just hang in there with me. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and get started. When I was interviewed for my position here at Liberty, I was asked what I believe to be the greatest danger facing the church today. My answer then remains my answer today. Pornography. The prevalence of pornography has so increased in just the last 10 to 15 years that we practically live in a time where a majority of young men and women learn more about sex from pornography than from any other source. Add to that the fact that pornography's already grotesque nature keeps descending into more and more extreme and violent forms. Add all of that together, and we must wake up to the reality that we are facing an epidemic of sexual confusion, perversion, and insanity that prior to our day was not even imaginable, let alone possible. I know that there are some of you here this morning to believe a topic such as this should be reserved for private conversations. That perhaps it's not appropriate for us to address it openly like this. And I share your sensitivity to what should or should not be communicated from this pulpit. I get that. But brothers and sisters, it does no good to whisper in the corners of this room when there's a lion ravaging the sheep. For all our small groups, for all our faith walks, for all our men's conferences, women's retreats, counseling sessions, and other weekend retreats, if we don't start openly talking about the sin affecting every single person in this room, then we are failing as a local faith family to watch out for one another. And yes, I dare say that not one person in this room has been left unaffected by the consequences of this moral issue. Perhaps you yourself have never viewed pornography. Praise God. Praise God. But I can promise you that someone you care for has, and that should affect you. The, the statistics simply overwhelm the possibility that you could relate to more than a few people, men or women, young or old, and not have at least one of them regularly viewing sexually explicit material. Or perhaps you're one of the many across this room who personally know the draw of pornography. You know it's sting. My fervent prayer as I have prepared this message, it's been that today would mark the day when you knew you weren't alone, that you knew you could come out of hiding. That's why we're doing this series. 
Because we know that these particular sins drive us into the shadows. And there's scarcely any other sin that blackmails a person into hiding more powerfully than that of pornography. But if you're here this morning and you're caught up in pornography, then I want you to know there is hope. There's hope. And I don't just say that because I believe it. I say it because I've been where you are. It was the summer between my 8th and ninth grade years. A few guys and I were spending the night at a friend's house. And I remember our host, after his parents had gone to sleep, told us to follow him into the living room. So I followed with the rest of the guys, not knowing that what he was about to show us on the computer would radically impact my life. I was already a teenager with the typical lust of a sinful and hormonal heart, but something changed that night. And what followed were years of secrecy, deceit, brokenness, heartache, and emptiness. I wasted hours of my life searching for the next online thrill, treated women created in the image of God as objects for my own gratification, and lied to people I dearly cared for. So yes, you are hearing me correctly. From that summer night into the first few years of my marriage to Jenna, a span of 10 to 12 years, I regularly viewed internet pornography. Which is why I asked to preach this sermon. Because I know what it's like to hide in the shadows because of this particular sin. But by God's grace, I also know the power of Christ to overcome it. Now as I share this, it's vital for you as my church family, to know a few things right off the bat. First, the Lord has brought about a freedom in my life that I have walked in for years now, even years prior to coming to Liberty. Number two, I was up front with the ordained men of this church when they interviewed me that this had been in my history. And third, I have accountability structures around me to make sure that I never go back down that road again. As my faith family, you deserve and need to know those things. And for some of you, it's already way out of bounds that I've just ch shared part of my story. I get that. That's okay. I'm not asking you to believe that I should have shared it. And you can rest assured that I don't enjoy sharing it. I'm simply asking that you hear what I'm communicating because I do have reasons this morning. By sharing this part of my story, I want to open some of your eyes to the reality of this widespread danger. I want to eliminate the possibility that any of you could walk out of this room thinking you're alone in this sin. And I want to motivate you who are battling in isolation to come out of hiding. My journey out of pornography was a long process that included lots of failures, lots of tears, prayers, and conversations. Conversations with Jenna before and after we were married. 
others with my parents, and then others with men who hold me accountable. It also included changes in my day-to-day life, and we'll get to some of those, but the first steps toward freedom were inside of me, in my heart, in my inner person. And this is where our passage comes into view this morning. Is the power is not found in my story. Power is found in the bigger story that redeems my story. So look with me at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. (coughs) You have heard it was said, Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, unfortunately, we're right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So the fullness of what he's communicating can get lost if we're not careful. Jesus is teaching that outward obedience to God's law is not enough to be, for us to be made right with God. And by that, Jesus intended to magnify the impossibility of us ever achieving on our own the righteousness required to stand before God. We need a Savior to fulfill the law for us, which was what Jesus said he came to do. He's teaching that God doesn't desire for men and women to simply conform outwardly to some standard of conduct. Because as we've already heard it multiple times in this series, God is always seeking our hearts. Because our hearts reveal who or what we worship. We glorify and pledge our devotion to whatever or whomever we treasure in our hearts. I can be a great community leader. I can be a faithful spouse, involved parent, and loyal friend without worshiping God. I can do all of those things for reasons that have nothing to do with the Lord. Which is why in the end there will be multitudes of great community leaders faithful spouses, involved parents, and loyal friends who hear Jesus say, away from me, I never knew you. To be a true follower of Jesus is to be a worshiper of him. If my heart worships Jesus, then the trajectory of my life, my thinking, my speaking, my acting, all of it will be aimed at him. But suppose my heart worships an idol instead of Jesus. Let's just say I take comfort. And in my heart, I set it up as the one thing around, everyth- around which I revolve everything. It will center everything that I do and think. Everything will be centered around my comfort, what makes me comfortable. I'll do three things if that's true. First, I will passionately seek after that which secures my comfort. Second, I will reject all that takes away from my comfort. And third, I will avoid all that risks my comfort. We know that we have an idol in our hearts if we're willing to sin in order to get it or we're willing to sin when we don't get it. And this is what goes on in the heart of every single person. 
our choices and our actions and our words are always being driven by what or who we worship. And this has everything to do with our topic this morning. Jesus says, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, and you think it's all about the physical nature of sex, and it's not. It goes further than that. It's about the heart. Physical adultery always points deeper to a spiritual adultery. At its core, adultery is the outward expression of an inward rejection of one's rightful king. Which is why Jesus says, you can commit adultery without ever touching another human Are some of the consequences of physical adultery different than those of a lustful gaze? Yes, absolutely. But the sinful, God-hating spirit is the exact same. And that ultimately is what the law of adultery was against. In everything, whether it's your Sunday morning worship or the pleasures of sexual expression, in everything it begins with the heart. Which is why Jesus starts in the heart. Verse 28, he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He doesn't start with lifestyle changes. He doesn't start with accountability groups. Those things are important, and we'll talk about those in a bit. But the fact that Jesus doesn't start here should teach us something incredibly profound. If the heart isn't changed, then all the external boundaries in the world will not keep you from committing sin. And it's here, with this truth about worship, the worship of our hearts, that I want to begin speaking directly to the issue of pornography. The man who secretly gratifies himself with images on his smartphone ultimately has a worship problem. The teen who claims to need Snapchat or Instagram to to stay connected, but who spends hours viewing and sharing pornography, that young man or that young woman ultimately has a worship problem. The woman who enjoys that popular TV show, but in her heart knows that what she really looks forward to are the sex scenes or the shirtless hero, that woman ultimately has a worship problem. They and so many others worship pleasure or significance or comfort or relevance or control instead of the one who is alone worthy of her or his worship. I want you to think through what's being communicated when a person looks at pornography. First, there is a brazen throwing off of any authority higher than self. I am my own person. I own my body. I own my eyes and I can look at whatever I want to with them. Second, there's a perversion of the gift of human sexuality. In pornography, sexual expression is severed not only from the covenant of marriage, but from any relationship whatsoever. And it becomes about nothing more than achieving some physical satisfaction apart from any concern for another human being. Sex, which is intended by God to physically express the self-sacrificial love of marriage, is reduced to the selfish pursuit of one's own gratification. And then third, there's an illegitimate claim of ownership asserted over another human being. 
A woman who views pornography says to God and to herself that the person she's lusting after belongs to her to use for her own wishes and to exploit for her own satisfaction. It's an outrageous overreach of authority and power. Central to all of this is self-worship. The placing of oneself at the very core, the very center of our existence. I belong to no one. My sexuality is mine to do with as I please and to express as I desire. And everyone else, whether in person or on a screen, exists for my pleasure, period. I am the beginning and the end. That's what we're saying. And every single person beyond puberty, puberty in this room has asserted all of this in his or her sexuality. Every one of us. Some of you do so regularly through websites, whether they be overtly pornographic sites or seemingly innocent ones like sports sites or news sites that just so happen to glorify the sexuality of cheerleaders or celebrities. Some of you do so weekly by overlooking the pornography of Emmy Award-winning TV or Oscar-winning movies. Doesn't matter if the sex scenes are too many to count, if it's got a good storyline or drama or dragons or magic, surely it's not really pornographic, right? Some of you do so in your reading. Maybe it's Fifty Shades of Grey, maybe it's not. Maybe it's some sort of Christian fiction and that it keeps the reader on the edge of sexual tension just long enough until the couple is married in order to legitimize the sex it then describes. Think about much of the popular music today. If the lyrics were put in book form, would they not rightly be labeled pornographic literature? Putting them to a good beat, labeling them classic rock, or singing them like with a southern twang doesn't do away with the fact that they are, in fact, pornographic. It just makes you feel better about consuming it. Or let's just put it out there. Fairly well, all of us, every single person in here has looked at another person created in the very image of God and considered them our property to do with as we want, as we wish in our hearts. It's what lust is. In all of this and so many other ways, we are blaspheming our Creator and acting as though everything else in all of creation is here for us, for our own consumption, our own pleasure, and it is not so, which is why any sort of lasting change in our lives must begin with us abdicating the throne of our hearts. Listen, if this was all about changing some bad habits or modifying our behavior, then the primary thing we'd need to hear this morning was a list of do-it-yourself steps to remove the influence of pornography from our lives and our culture. But if Jesus' initial comments here teach us anything, it's this. Ultimately, the issue isn't our culture. It's not our entertainment. It's not our social media or Hollywood. It's us. It's the fact that our hearts long to break from God, to be free from God, to be God. It's the reality that inside us, within us, there are times when we really do crave the filth that we see in the culture around us. We really do crave it. 
Brothers and sisters, we don't have to be rescued from this world. At our core, we need to be rescued from ourselves. Years ago, was I a victim of our sexualized culture? In some ways, absolutely. I never should have been able to see what I did. Never. But in other ways, absolutely not. Because I never should have craved what I saw. And I did crave it. What is the first step toward freedom from pornography? It's not giving up your cell phone or the remote. It's giving up the fight with God for your heart. It's a total confession that you're lost in sin. You love sin. And you need to be rescued from sin because in and of yourself you can't find freedom and in many ways you don't even want to. The first step is repentance. And repentance involves a complete ownership of your own sin without blaming anything or anyone else. It's a sorrowful heart over your rebellion against God and it includes a complete acceptance of the consequences no matter what. But not only must we repent, our hearts also have to embrace all the promises of God to forgive. How often we in fear keep repeating the three-step cycle of confess or sin, confess, try harder. Sin, confess, try harder. Sin, confess, try harder. We keep doing that. We keep doing it because we never really cling to the truth that God actually does cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to Him. But the scandal of His grace is that you can't work your way into it. You can't try harder and get in. As one author put it, no matter how terrible pornography is, no matter how much trouble you are in, no matter how flimsy and weak your resources are, you are never in a pit so deep that the grace of Jesus cannot lift you out. The great danger in your struggle is that you will devote all of your energy to thinking true and awful things about pornography and spend no time dwelling on the true and wonderful things of Jesus. Believer, do the eyes of your heart focus more on the sins you've committed or the Savior who's redeemed you from them? Listen, have you confessed your sin? Truly repented for your God-hating, self-loving, self-worship through pornography? then have the audacity to believe that God forgives you, that He accepts you, that He delights in you, that He sings over you, and that He points to you and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. Have the audacity to believe that it's true. His grace, not your sin, has to be your focus. As another author put it, only riches can deliver you from riches. I love that. In other words, only a true delight and enjoyment and satisfaction in the never-ending, always overflowing grace and beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ can rescue you from a never-satisfying, always lethal shame and lie of pornography. It's not a matter of willpower, not a matter of accountability, not a matter of self-control, and it's not a matter of guilting yourself into obedience. It's a matter of seeking and having and enjoying a greater treasure who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins and lives forever to grant you freedom from them. You have to delight in Him more than you delight in pornography. It's the same with any sin. 
Whatever captures your heart will capture your life. Let it be Jesus that captures our hearts. For only riches can deliver us from riches. This is the invitation of Isaiah 55, one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture, where the Lord, having looked upon His people who are chasing after so many different things in this world, He says this to them, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and, and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Can't you hear the, the Lord's heart in this? Why do you keep running after all of these other things? Come to me and be satisfied. My road to freedom began when I started delighting in Jesus. Do I have the accountability structures around me? Absolutely. And we'll talk about those. But before all of that, my heart has been satisfied. And the question is, has yours? This is the message we have for the world around us. But let me say this. If we don't know the world around us, if we don't see how unbelievably massive this issue of pornography is within our faith family, in our culture, and around the world, then we will continue hindering ourselves as messengers of gospel freedom. Hear me on this. Pornography is wrecking lives and marriages and careers, not only out there, but in this room at a scale that we can hardly wrap our minds around. Yes, and no, pornography has been around since before the time of Christ, but things have changed. As one anti-pornography organization put it, porn is incomparably more accessible, more widespread, and more extreme than anything that existed even a generation ago. Those centerfold magazines that were passed around among the youth in previous generations were nothing compared to what the youth have access to today. We're not dealing with Playboy anymore. We're dealing with something far more extreme, far more addictive, far more available, and far more destructive than anything just 10 or 15 years ago. And if we don't wise up to this staggering reality, then we're going to be responsible for remaining silent when we should have been shouting. Why should we be shouting? Because at age 11, the average child has already been exposed to explicit pornographic material on the Internet. Parents and grandparents, do you hear that? 11 is the average. Many, many see it before then. 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to pornography during their adolescent years. 90% of boys, 8 to 16, have viewed pornography while doing their homework. 79% of men, 18 to 30, access pornography once a month. 76% of women that age do the same. But this isn't a young person phenomenon. 67% of 31 to 49-year-olds men view pornography once a month. 38% of women in that range do. 49% of men 50 to 68 view it monthly. But there's more. 
The largest pornographic website in the world released an annual report detailing the amount of pornography being used in 2017 alone on its one site. Listen, there were 28.5 billion visits, which breaks down to 81 million visits per day, 1,000 every second. One site alone, one year alone. That's over five and a half billion from the previous year. It's only growing. There were 68 years worth of new pornographic videos uploaded to that one site in one year. Which means that if you started watching last year's new videos on that site today, you could watch continuously 24-7 until the year 2086. There was enough data transferred on this one site to fill the memory of every iPhone in the world. There were 800 unique searches on this one site every single second of last year. In 2016, there were 4.6 billion hours of pornography consumed. Listen to this. That's just shy, a few years shy of 525 thousand years worth of time spent on one site in one year. And the number has only been growing. Do these numbers not leave us stunned? Do they not stagger our imaginations? And listen, the effects of this are just as sickening. It is well known that as one watches more pornography, the desire for more graphic and deviant preferences increase because what once brought arousal no longer does. So it requires more and more extreme forms of pornography in order to satisfy the craving. It's not a neutral sin. It keeps getting worse and building upon itself worse and worse and worse. Add to this the fact that new virtual reality technology is now promising users the ability to more fully experience, create, and manipulate the pornography they consume, and the prospects are extremely troubling, to say the least. When, when the New York Times, just as they did just a couple months ago, is asking about the issue of consent in pornography because virtual reality allows you to view it using the likeness of others, then you can be sure that we are living in a brave new world. Pornography is also completely twisting the minds of those who are learning about sex for the first time. According to the Journal of Adolescent Health, exposure to pornography leads to these things. An exaggerated perception of sexual activity in society, an abandonment of the hope of sexual monogamy, the belief that marriage is sexually confining, and the belief that promiscuity is natural. More teenagers today are learning about sex from pornography than ever before, and we can only imagine the tragedy awaiting our culture when they begin to practice what they've learned. Which is why the widespread belief, even among believers, that you can view pornography without it impacting other parts of your life is simply absurd. As one who regularly counsels individuals and marriages at this church, hear me when I say this, pornography affects other people. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
In other words, we cannot isolate our sin. We can't compartmentalize it to one area of our lives and think that it won't infect everything else. We talk so often about the lack of fervency, the lack of Holy Spirit unction among Christian men in general. And we wonder why. Why are so many more women more passionate about the things of Christ than the men who are supposed to be leading spiritually? I would contend this morning that many, many of these men passionately long for and desire to do just that, but they have been spiritually castrated by the sin of pornography. They've been rendered weak, dry, and ineffective because they keep going back to their sexual sin. On top of that, pornography has also, it is also fueling the sex trafficking industry. Nearly half of all trafficked victims report that pornography was made of them during their time in bondage. As one 2010 report notes, women used in the production of commercial pornography in the U.S. are often subjected to violence and coercion during filming. Often they protest and try to stop the filming or back out before filming begins. Their protests are ignored and they are pressured by their agent or the director to continue. Their experiences of coercion and trickery often meet the criteria for sex trafficking. <coughs> Excuse me. So in light of all of this, let's put to rest the idea that you and your smartphone or you and your computer aren't impacting anyone else. The facts just don't support it. So where do we go from here? How in the world do we escape the madness of this sexual insanity? To begin with, we have to get the planks out of our own eyes. If we only and ever discuss pornography as a problem for those out there, then we will continue to, to fail to address the crisis happening in this room. In 2014, Barna Research released a major study that found that 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. That was four years ago. And personally, I believe the numbers have jumped significantly since then. And certainly the percentages only go up the younger you go in among believers. Brothers and sisters, this has to be our issue before it's the world's issue. If you're one of the men or women in this room who are viewing pornography, then my plea to you by the word of God is to turn from this sin. And not simply because it's bad for you, or for your family, but because as we saw earlier, it's an all-out defying of the God you claim to worship. And there are no excuses for it. It doesn't matter if your husband is cold and unaffectionate. It doesn't matter if you and your wife aren't as physically intimate as many times as you'd want to be. It doesn't matter if you're single and without an outlet for your sexual drive. It doesn't matter if you've had the most terrible childhood, work day, or disappointment. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Its wages are death. And God commands that you repent. Period. Genuine repentance includes the willingness to radically amputate any means by which we've pursued pornography. This is what Jesus is getting at in the last portion of our video, or our passage. He's saying, hey, if your eye or your hand is causing you to sin, 
Then let's be done with it. Tear it out. Cut it off. And let's run after holiness. Of course, he's not meaning actually gouge out your eye or chop off your hand, but the principle is clear. Let me ask you, man or woman of God who is caught in pornography, are you willing to give up all unmonitored Internet access? Are you willing to give up Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever other streaming service you've been accessing pornography on? Are you willing to have someone else set the passwords on your devices so you can't download apps or install new programs? Are you willing to give up social media or your smartphone? Are you willing to do these things? Because hear me on this, to the extent that you are not willing to give up any of those things, you are not broken over your sin. This doesn't mean you have to throw away all technology. It just means you have to be willing to be inconvenienced and even sacrificial so you don't keep on dishonoring the Lord. If you do not change the access you have to pornography, either by blocking that access, filtering that access, or completely removing that access, you will succumb to the temptation of pornography again. You will. It's too powerful. And by not eliminating that source of sin, you're walking in disobedience to Jesus' commands in our passage. And I'm not telling you anything that I have not personally been willing to do, that I'm not doing in my own life. I have no unmonitored or unfiltered internet access or TV access, and I never will. Because I don't want to go down that road again. I don't want to put those chains back on. So number one, you need to repent. And number two, you need to eliminate the sources of temptation. And then three, you need others around you to keep encouraging you. One of the most powerful lies whispered to those who battle against pornography is this. You are, not, you are alone. If that's you this morning, hear me on this. That is a lie. You are not meant to battle alone. Reach out. Tell somebody. Tell your parents. Tell your spouse. Tell your friend. Tell me. Tell Pastor Tim. Tell any other person on staff. We are here because we love you. And we want you to know the freedom that is found in Christ. Just don't try to do it alone. You can't because you, you're not meant to. In Christ, we're family. We say that. We, we say, we're brothers and sisters. Yeah, we're, we're, we're family here. Us being family means we're in this thing together. We've got to do this together. That's, so that's how we respond individually, but we've also got to respond corporately. So in closing, I want to address three particular groups here this morning. Spouses, parents, and our faith family overall. First, I am fully aware this morning that this message is cut deeply for some of you in this room, not because you personally view pornography, but because your spouse, the one you've committed to in marriage, is caught up in pornography. And I am also acutely aware that following this morning, there will be conversations and confessions in families all across this community. They will impact marriages, and families all across this room. So in addressing you, I wanted you to hear from someone who's been there. I could sit up here and tell you different things, 
but you need to hear from someone who knows the hurt and the anger you're experiencing or will be experiencing. So I asked Jenna to put together a video, and so we'll take a look here. I would tell you that I'm sorry, but I would tell you you're not alone. I'm here to be alongside you and so many others are. The enemy is gonna try to keep you in the dark with this and keep you and your spouse in hiding with this, but Christ died to set you free. And so I would urge you to walk in that light. Come out and talk, talk with me, talk with other believing brothers and sisters that want to be alongside you. I would tell you that I'm sorry you are going through this and I'm sorry that this is a part of your story, but I would also tell you that the Lord can use this and will use this if you let him. So I would urge you to do that. I would tell you that I'm sorry you are hurting and angry. And I'm sorry you have so many questions in your head of doubt and insecurity, but again, you are not alone. It is by grace that this is coming to light right now. It might not feel like grace, but it is. So walk in that. I have seen the Lord work in and through my marriage since this came to light every single day in so many ways. Kyle and I would not be the same people and we would not have the same marriage if this was not a part of our story. I will tell you, you're never going to be proud that this is a part of your story, but I will tell you that you can be thankful that this is a part of your story. I am thankful that this is a part of our story. I am thankful that I get to be the one alongside Kyle to be his helper, to walk alongside him like nobody else can. And if you, if you take on that role, and if you let yourself be humble to the point of taking on that role and embracing the honor that it really is, you get to be the one alongside your spouse, walking with them like nobody else, like nobody else can. The Lord has given Kyle and I both hearts of transparency to be able to talk to anyone at any time about anything we've gone through. And I cannot tell you how many individuals we have gotten to talk to how many couples, um, our small group, and now being able to be here in front of all of you to share our story, to say you are not alone if this is a part of your story, to say that there is hope and that the Lord will absolutely use your testimony to grow and minister others if you would just let him. Many of you have not had the privilege of getting to know Jenna because she's always taking care of our kids and we kept having kids. Um, she told me when she read through this sermon, you make sure to tell them that I'm not pregnant and we're not having any more children. So there you go. Let me say this. I preach passionately about the grace of God because I experienced it through that woman right there in a way that changed my life. So to you spouses, I also say fight for your marriage and start fighting by not staying silent. To my fellow parents in this room, the world your children inhabit is far different than the one you grew up in. 
The technological revolution has radically changed the threats that they are facing. And if you don't seriously, if you don't take this seriously, then you are abandoning your role as a parent. Fathers and mothers, we've got to teach our children about the dignity of other human beings, how we view them and treat them even through technology. And we also have to protect our own children's dignity when they use technology. There is no excuse, no excuse whatsoever for your child to have an unmonitored have any unmonitored access to the internet. No excuse. Whether it's a smartphone, iPad, smart TV, gaming system, or some other device, realize that for you to fail to oversee its use is for you to invite pornography into your child's life. And teens and youth and children, you may be sighing over there about the rules that are coming. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. You don't want pornography in your life. If it's already there, parents, someone else, help you get away from it. That's God's grace in your life. As one author put it, when parents hand their children small portable computers with virtually unlimited access to the internet, they should not be surprised when their kids, especially their sons, dive into pornography. Moms and dads who would never leave their kids unattended in a room full of pornographic DVDs think nothing of handing them smartphones. This is morally insane." End quote. What are you doing to intentionally guard the eyes and hearts of your children? On the back of your notes page this morning, there are all, all sorts of resources for you. Filtering software, articles to read, a family plan that you can put into place. Read the articles, talk to your children, and implement a plan for your household. And speaking of talking with your children, do they know that they can bring this up to you without you flipping out and heaping more shame upon them? I was blessed. My parents are here this morning. I was blessed to have parents I could go to and talk to without fear of them flipping out. Do they know they can open up and ask for help from you in a world that wants to hold them captive? If not, you can forget ever having the joy and the privilege of walking alongside your son or daughter as he or she pursues purity in an impure world. Don't rid yourself of that joy, that privilege. And church family, the same goes for us. Are we, are we Liberty Baptist Church, are we a Galatians 6-1 people? Believers who, when confronted with the transgressions of our brothers and sisters, we restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That's what we're called to do. Do we do it? Are we more, more horrified at our own sins than we could ever be with those of the people around us? Are we more upset of our own hearts than we are of those around us? Because it's never, listen to this, it has never ended well for the people who pray, Father, I thank you that I'm not like that person. As I said earlier, we're in this thing together. Do we just say that or do we really mean it? 
Is that just a church saying that we like to throw out there? Or do we, Liberty Baptist Church, actually mean it? That we're in this thing together. As people, hopefully, following this entire series, come out of the hiding, we have a chance to prove it. To prove that we really do believe it. I pray that we do. Brothers and sisters, we are exiles in a pornographic world. I know that this has been a heavy sermon. But we have got to wake up as individuals, as families, and as a church. There can't be any more hiding. Let this be the day that you come out into the light. There is freedom available to you. Would you take hold of it today? Let's pray. Father, we glorify you this morning for being a God who does not turn away from us, who does not cast us aside, who does not look at the filth of our hearts and, and pass by us, but you're a God who redeems us, who knows how evil and wicked our hearts are, even more than we know, and you keep coming after us, keep loving us, keep redeeming us and pursuing us. And God, we glorify you this morning. God, this has been your, your word the, from the very lips of Jesus this morning, knowing that our hearts are, are central to the issue of lust and pornography, the things that we as your people are facing. I pray that your spirit would be at work in hearts all across this room. For those that need to confess sin, I pray that you would give to them genuine repentance, that they would turn the eyes of their hearts upon you and find that you're a merciful and forgiving God. I pray for marriages and families across this room. Pray for our faith family. God, that we would be a people that delighted in Christ more than delighted in our sin. God, others who look at us would say, we want, to, we want that kind of lasting and satisfying delight. We could go, it's not in this world. It's in Jesus alone. I pray for this time of response. May your will be done, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do something a little different for this response time. and It doesn't require you getting out of your seat at all if you don't want to, so don't worry. Um, rather than singing right now, rather than standing and worshiping, I don't want you to feel any pressure whatsoever. I want you to pray. I want you to get before the Lord, and I want you to, to confess your sins. Every single one of us is a sexual sinner in this room. Let us confess that. Let us be okay with confessing that to the Lord. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for your spouse. I want you to pray for your children. You can, you can gather as a family if you need to. If you want to come forward and pray for yourself or for someone else, you can do that. If you want to get on your knees and turn and face your chair and pray to the Lord, you can do that. But I want, I want you in prayer. I want you to allow the Lord to be at work in your heart, praying for yourself, for your spouse, for your family, for your, for your church family.
And this is a time just for us to pray. Afterwards, we'll respond in worship through song. But for now, let's pray, okay? So let's do that now. This morning, we, we want to pray that we would be a people whose hearts reflect the heart of, of the psalmist who, in Psalm 101, he said, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. May that be the cries of our hearts this morning. Or for those who have languished in this sin, meet them, O Lord, with your mercy and your grace that they would find freedom. For the marriages across this room that have been injured deeply by this sin, we pray that your healing waters would be upon it. Pray that your spirit would re work reconciliation in marriages. For children, teens who face a world that even I could not imagine just a few short years ago, we pray your protection over them, that this psalm would be the cry of their hearts, that they would hate sin and cling to you, delight in you. We pray for families across this room that will have tough conversations. Give them the grace that they need, Lord. God, we are your people. We want to glorify you with the purity of our hearts. And we can only do so by your grace. So Lord, be at work in us. Continue your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.